like to invite you to please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. As we've already shared today, we begin a sermon series called The Ten Commandments, Loving God Through a Life of Obedience. And today's sermon is called Recovering God's Moral Code. Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai, inscribed on tablets of stone by God himself. You have on your seat a preaching schedule, uh, the dates and the sermons that we'll, uh, we'll be walking through the remainder of the series. This sermon series was not selected at random but is a very intentional and pastoral decision. As pastors, we are concerned that too many Christians are neglecting the law of God's commands and are in need of greater instruction regarding godly living. Uh, Greater instruction regarding Christian maturity and the path of obedience. Certainly all of us have room to grow in delighting in the law and applying God's moral code to our lives. The the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, uh, Deca, Ten, Logos, Word, uh, Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments have something unique and extraordinary to offer in how they so comprehensively and thoroughly call us to love God through a life of obedience. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 20. We will read verses 1 through 21, and this is God's holy and authoritative word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, 
that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray together. Father, we do take this moment at the outset of this series and we join the psalmist in Psalm 119 and pray, teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And we will keep it to the end. Lord, give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe it with our whole heart. Lead us in the path of your commandments, for we delight in it. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our heart. We incline our hearts, Lord, even now, we incline our hearts to perform your statutes forever to the end. Come, Spirit of God, and minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone compiled a list of some of the most valuable treasures that have gone missing. The list includes the crown jewels of Ireland, uh, a particular ancient Japanese sword, the lost poems of the Greek poet Sappho, uh, the Florentine diamond, a famous 15th century artwork called the Just Judges, and more. Things that have gone missing, things that people are seeking to recover. There is an even greater treasure that needs to be recovered in our day, and that is the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. It has often been the case throughout the history of God's dealings with his people that his law has been neglected, has been minimized, has been forgotten, and has been in need of being recovered. Hundreds of years after Exodus 20, in Nehemiah's day, there were 42,000 people who returned to Jerusalem following the exile. And we're told in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, all of the people gathered as one man, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded. And we're told that he stood on a wooden platform that was made for this purpose, and he read 
from early morning to midday, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I'll tell you, I don't see how we stand a chance at recovering the law of God without an enthusiasm and commitment to the extended public reading of it in our gatherings once again. And in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, in fact, turn, turn forward there, we'll come back, but turn, if you get to Job or Psalms, you've gone too far, look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Here the people continued to listen to the law each day for a quarter of the day, and then they spent another quarter of the day in worship. It was a time of great revival, and in Nehemiah 9, all the people were gathered and were told that the Levites lifted their voice and recounted what had been forgotten, what had been lost. They recounted what God had done in Genesis and Exodus because that is what had been forgotten much as in our own day. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 5. I thought in jumping into the Ten Commandments, what's the best way to summarize the story so far in Genesis and Exodus? Nehemiah 9 gives a better summary than I ever could. Verse 5, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, that's Genesis 1 and 2, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, that's Genesis 11 and 12, and gave him the name Abraham, Genesis 17, you found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, Exodus 1 through 3. And heard their cry at the Red Sea, Exodus 14. And performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. That's Exodus 7 through 14. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, Exodus 14, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go, Exodus 13. And then here it is. You came down on Mount Sinai Exodus 19, and spoke with them from heaven, Exodus 20, and gave them right rules and true laws. 
good statutes and commandments and you made known to them your holy sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and the law by moses your servant you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger exodus 16 and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, Exodus 17, and you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. How did they respond? But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. Tragically, theirs was not the only generation in which the people of God act presumptuously and stiffen their necks and downplay obedience to the moral law of God. It is happening to this day. Christian, brothers, sisters, do not harden your hearts. Love the Lord your God. Love obedience. Love the law of the Lord. Love God by keeping his commandments. The law is given by God in his grace for our good and for his glory. And the moral dimension of the law remains in full force. Christians are free from the Mosaic administration, free from the Mosaic covenant, but we are not free from the moral core of the Ten Commandments or the moral dimension of the law of God. You read the New Testament, you see Paul draws from the Ten Commandments. Romans 13, 8 through 10, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. The Ten Commandments summarize the ethical instruction of the New Testament and are fundamental God-given means of spiritual growth for Christians today. Oh, how we need the Ten Commandments to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. J.I. Packer, in his book, Keeping the Ten Commandments, he says, whether as persons we grow and blossom or shrink and wither, whether in character we become more like God or more like the devil, depends directly on whether we seek to live by what is in the Ten Commandments or not. Have you seen Christians who grow and blossom? And have you seen Christians who shrink and wither? I have. We, we are trying to become more like God and less like the devil. What does that depend on? It depends directly on whether we seek to live by what is in the commandments of God. In order to recover God's moral law, in order to recapture a sense of the urgency of loving God through a life of obedience, let's look at the first two verses of Exodus 20 and consider the character of God, the salvation of God, 
and the commands of God. First, the character of God. You see in verse 1, it says, God spoke all these words. These words originated with God himself, who is not silent, but is a speaking God who has revealed himself through specific words. God has spoken. And before giving the law, he reminds us of the character of the lawgiver. Before this is what you must do, he says, this is who I am. Because knowing the character and the heart of God is the foundation for obeying him. The law is good and holy and perfect because it is a reflection of the character of God. He says, I am the Lord your God. If you read Leviticus chapter 19, the refrain, I am the Lord and I am the Lord your God is repeated 16 times throughout. And there, following the, the commands to not worship carved images, honor your parents, you shall not steal. After the commands, each one, it says, I am the Lord your God. What's the point? The same as the point here. You are to live this way because of who I am. I am the Lord your God. And that he is the Lord, that he is the great I am, the God of the burning bush. The God of Mount Sinai means he is majestic in holiness. It means that he is sovereign over all. It means that he is eternal and independent and that we are to worship him with our lives. We are to be holy as he is holy. We are to submit our lives entirely to his authority. Friends, you are not your own. You belong to God. People say, follow your hearts. We do not follow our hearts. We follow the Lord. We do not follow the ways of the culture around us. We follow the Lord. He's not only the Lord, majestic in holiness, authoritative, sovereign over all the Lord. He reveals himself as the Lord, your God. And that he is your God is a statement of his goodness and love. He has graciously entered into a loving covenant with his people in which we are, as the previous chapter, Exodus 19, verse 5 says, we are his treasured possession. Verse 6, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That the law reflects the character of God. What is God like? He is loving. He is merciful. He is good. That the law reflects his character means his commands are very good because the Lord is good. The law of God is not a killjoy. It is an expression, the law is an expression of the grace and goodness of God. There is life-giving freedom and abundance in the law of the Lord. This, do you want to know in life the way of blessing? Do you want to know the way of flourishing? How do you live a life of freedom and contentment and joy, the life you were made for? It's the way of God's commandments. Every command of the Lord that we will study throughout this series, every command holds out 
promises and blessings for those who obey it. He is a God majestic in holiness and full of grace. This is the character of God. Second, the salvation of God. Following the statement of who God is, there is a statement of what God has done for his people. Gloriously so. He is the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There is a great salvation that God has worked for his people. He is the God who rescues a people who were once in bondage. He is the God who sends plagues upon his enemies. He's the God who delivers through the Red Sea. The God of salvation. And we have received an even greater salvation in Jesus Christ, who died to rescue us from slavery. We were in bondage to sin. We were in bondage to death. He gave himself to set us free, to deliver us, to redeem us, and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life in his name. We are the recipients of salvation in Christ Jesus. And notice here, and this is so massively important for a series on the Ten Commandments. Notice the order of God's deliverance and God's demands. The order of God's redemption and God's rules. He didn't give the law so that his people could be saved by it. They were already delivered. They were already saved. They were already set free. The law wasn't there to do that. Kevin DeYoung says the Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They are rules for a free people to stay free. Hear this today. Obedience cannot save you. The law cannot save you. Only Christ can save. And he saves by grace alone, completely apart from our obedience, completely apart from works of the law. The law is not our Savior. It is our guide and our friend. Here's how this works. The law reveals our sin. If in the reading of the law, you are not made aware of the fact that you have sinned greatly and grievously against a holy God, if, if the law doesn't make you aware of your sin, it takes a very proud person indeed to not be humbled before the Lord, to not be willing to admit our own sin and the judgment that we deserve. The law reveals our sin and leads us to Christ for salvation and then once we are saved, Christ leads us back to the law as that which reveals his desires and his demands for our lives. Meaning that the law not only convicts us of sin, but also instructs us in godly living. It is not enough to consider only what God has done in delivering us, we must also consider what God requires of his delivered people. We need to consider the whole reason he has delivered us. God did not rescue a people from slavery to live for themselves. 
He didn't bring a people out of bondage to squander their lives in the desert of disobedience and selfishness and sin. He rescues us to have an obedient people. He sets us free to have a righteous people, a people who serve him and who wholeheartedly follow and obey his commandments. There is a certain kind of of gospel-centered thinking, and to be clear, I'm a fan of gospel-centered thinking. There's a certain kind of gospel-centered thinking, however, that minimizes the role of the law and the role of obedience in the Christian life. It is a grave mistake to only preach the gospel and to expect that presentation of what God has done in Christ to be the sole means through which people change. We must also consider and preach and learn the commandments of God. We we need to receive instruction on how Christians are to live as the redeemed. So Mark Jones, in his excellent book, Antinomianism, which he's challenging the idea that is believed by some Christians that basically... Uh, the law no longer has an ongoing role in our lives. He says, to leave off the preaching of commands, as many do today, is to neglect an instrument that God has appointed for the sanctification of his church. It's, It's a mistake to think that the moral law now plays a lesser role in the lives of God's people because of the gospel. In fact, what Mark Jones says, and he's absolutely right, the New Testament heightens, not lessens, the place of the moral law in the life of the believer. And hear this, for the indicative has been heightened through Christ's mediatorial work. In other words, the great indicative of what God has done in giving the precious blood of his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation, that act of God makes the moral imperatives of the law all the more forceful and all the more urgent. Titus 2, 14 says that our Savior gave himself for us. Why? to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why did God save us? Why did he redeem us? He did it to rescue us from lawlessness. He did it to bring us out of lawlessness. He did it to make us a pure people who are really, really passionate about good works who are really, really passionate about obedience. We are commanded by God to be obedient and holy in all of our conduct. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, be holy, be obedient, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that as a lamb without blemish or spot. The commands of God, the commands of obedience are heightened all the more 
in light of the shedding of the precious blood of Christ for our salvation, blood intended by God to make us obedient and holy. Oh, may God use this series to accomplish that very thing in our lives. Then third heading, the commands of God. So in order to recover God's moral law and by way of introduction to the Ten Commandments, we need to recapture a sense of the urgency of obedience. How do we do that? Well, we need to consider the character of God and the salvation of God and the commands of God. And it's these commands that we will study together over the next few months. I want to encourage you to learn them. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to memorize the Ten Commandments. Let each one of us listen to the Word of God to apply His Word to our lives. God's commands not only address our actions, they address the purity of our hearts and minds. And one thing that we'll see throughout the Ten Commandments is that when there is a particular command or prohibition given, the contrary is also commanded. So, for example, having no other gods means that we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength with an undivided allegiance. Not murdering means loving others. It means protecting life. Not coveting means that we are generous and content with what we have. This is the way the commandments will, in the searching ways of the Lord, search our hearts and our lives and call us to obedience and holiness. It is, it is so essential, and I have, we as pastors have prayed for this series. We've prayed for you. We love you. It is a great joy to lead you and serve you and to be your pastors. It's one of the great joys of my life. And at the outset of this series, as we are leaning into preaching the commands of the Lord, we do this because we believe that we need the law. We, we believe that it is essential to the health of our church that we be a people who love the preaching of the law and receive the commandments and the statutes of the Lord as a gift from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture, and that includes the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Lord, come and teach us, come and reprove us, come and correct us, come and train us in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the call of God upon us as a church family. Jerem Bars, in his book, Delighting in the Law of the Lord, says, we may be sure that where the law is not deeply taught and loved, there will be little appreciation for Christ and his work, and there will be little transformation of life and little genuine discipleship. That's what happens where the law is not deeply taught and loved. Our goal in this series is to deeply teach and deeply love the law of God as a means of deepening our appreciation for the glorious salvation that we have in Christ and as a means of experiencing 
transformation in our lives. Will you make that your prayer? Will you join me and the pastors in praying that God uses these sermons to come and do a shaping work to mature us, to make us a people of holiness, a people of obedience all the more. Let me close just by giving you three things. It's not a second sermon here, don't worry. This is really a close. Three things to keep in mind with every command throughout this series. With every command, remember that the law of God blesses and guides us. Remember the law of God blesses us. The Ten Commandments are also given in Deuteronomy 5. You can read them there. And in Deuteronomy 5.33, it says, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may go well with you. It is the gracious and loving heart of God that it go well with you in life. In Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Why are the commandments being commanded? For your good. For your good. God is good. He wants good for you. And every one of these commands is for your good. So Alec Motyer, in his commentary on Exodus, says, When we approach the Ten Commandments then, it should not be in a spirit of foreboding, as if we lived under a constant threat. Rather, we must learn to cry with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. Get ready to be blessed by God through the law of commandments. Second, with every command, remember that the blood of Christ cleanses us. The blood of Christ cleanses us. When we fall short of the obedience God commands in each of these commandments, and we do every day, we must remember that we are forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Christ. He is the only one who perfectly obeyed each one of these 10 words in his sinless life. And he died so that lawbreakers and transgressors, like me and like every one of us, he died so that we might be forgiven. If you have not yet come to Christ for salvation, humble yourself. Even today, acknowledge your sin and believe that Christ died to receive the judgment that we deserve for violating each one of these commands and trust in him alone for your salvation. The basis of our salvation is never our obedience. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so remember, when we fall short, when we disobey, the blood of Christ washes away all our sin. Then third, so the law blesses, the blood of Christ cleanses, and the third, with every command, remember that the Spirit of God empowers us. The Spirit of God empowers us. Christ came and died not only that we might be forgiven, but that the law might be fulfilled in us as we love God through a life of obedience. God made a promise through the prophets. He promised in Ezekiel 36, 27, where he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you 
to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what God is causing in your life. You're not on your own when it comes to obedience. Yes, we are aware of our sin. Yes, we are aware of our weakness. But there is one who has written his law upon our hearts. There's one who has placed his spirit within us so that we really can change. And God throughout this series is going to cause us by his divine activity, cause us to walk in his statutes and to obey his rules. As we delight in the law of God, as we study his law together, we will be changed for the glory of Christ alone. God, do it in our lives, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.